Hi everyone, today on What's My Frame, I'm joined by casting director Byron Bean. Byron's career in the arts has given him a very unique point of view. His resume includes talent management, producing, and casting. So in fact, he's seen behind the curtain in all directions. He began his career in entertainment, studying as an actor in New York City. Today, Byron shares a very relatable story from his first professional audition in the city that in fact changed his future career goals. He moved into the business side to help champion actors and guide their careers. Over the last decade, Byron has worked in numerous top casting offices as well as independently casting pilots, films, commercials, and branded content. His projects include Gordita Chronicles, Flame and Hot, Coyote, and The Witches. Now, let's get to the conversation. Byron, thank you so much for joining us on What's My Frame today. We like to start out with just everyone's origin story, how they got pulled into the circus, and just what steps led you to where you are now. I like that. I like that phrase, pulled into the circus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because once you join, <laughs> you, there's no getting no out. There's no escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's so funny because my elevator pitch changes um, sometimes from, from person to person or classes that I teach. But basically, I got my start into casting back in 2000. I want to say 2008. Um, it was with Lena Todd in New York, and she was working on a film called Sarah's Key at the time. And it was through a, a late mentor of mine, Mark Schlegel, who introduced me to her. And I was sort of figuring out what I wanted to do in the business. I had taken two years of acting classes at the William Esper Studio in New York, thought, thinking I was going to be an actor, and you know, went on my first audition out, and it was a terrifying experience. And I said, I don't want to. Do- do this and I was sort of hellbent on saying maybe I should switch gears and help actors you know navigate this business because I wish I had someone there to do that for me at that time so um, that sort of piqued my interest and Mark Schlegel who I just mentioned was an agent and said there was a casting director looking for someone that needed help and I jumped in and we just kind of bonded immediately and I fell in love with it so I got my start there and then I helped her with the shooting stars program in the Hamptons International Film Festival in 2010 just got a little deeper into the world of talent and you know coordinating and understanding that world in addition to casting so that was something that was really helpful for me And then tried to figure out what I wanted to do after that, because as you know, like independent films, money is very hit or miss. And so that kind of dried up at that time. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do again. Um, And with some of our agent contacts that I had, they kind of suggested that management might be a good sort of segue after casting. And I was kind of like, so you mean I can just be a manager? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we were going to like, yeah, yeah, but I mean, I had the knowledge behind, you know, the audition process and casting, and I really was focused on actors and um, thought that that might be a good idea. And so I got a couple of clients through some agent contacts and it just sort of grew from there. And so I was a talent manager for about six years and had a roster, um, I don't think I had a roster any more than 20 some actors at a time, just because I felt like there's no way that you can put time and effort energy into more than that. Yeah. And so that happened for about six years. And then um, there was uh, something happening in the family. My dad had, I can talk openly about this, but my dad had Alzheimer's. And so it made me switch my focus back from 
working as a talent manager back into the creative and getting back into that world because I like the idea of having a finite start and stop date so I could go home to North Carolina and come back at that kind of thing and not focus on, you know, as you know, in talent management, you're kind of tethered to your actors 24-7. So all the time. So I sort of needed to switch my focus back into my family. Um, But I got back into casting and... uh, was working in commercial casting a little bit and then was working with Lena Todd again on a couple of movies, Jill and uh, the drummer mm-hmm. back then. And then um, answered an email to, there was a, the two casting directors were looking for um, someone to work out in LA. I didn't know them. They didn't know me from Adam. So I just was like shot in the dark. I'm just going to email and say like, Hey, what's up? You know, like you do. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I emailed them and funny enough, uh, the one casting director knew Lena, reached out to her. Um, I had Skyped when Skype was Skype and it was, uh, I had Skyped with her, with the casting director and her business partner. And it was on a Sunday and the job started on a Wednesday and I was still in New York and she was like, cool, can you come out by Tuesday? And I was like, sure. And in my head, I was like, how the hell am I going to do this? I got to get a high miles. <laughs> yeah. Like I got to get a subletter. Get a, but that's, you know, that was ancillary thoughts. I just was like, I got to get out there. Yeah. And lo and behold, when I got out and it was very, it was very private. It was like, you know, it was a big studio feature and it was kind of like, I didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. So I get out to LA and it was working with Victoria Burroughs and Scott Boland on The Witches, the remake with Anne Hathaway yeah. and Octavia Spencer. And it was wild because I was on the Warner Brothers lot. I was like jumped into it. It was one of my favorite movies back in the day. And I just was like, this is crazy. Um, and that sort of segued into television casting after that. So I was an associate on that project. And then I went into television as a casting associate and then um, was working in a few offices there and then circled back and worked with Lena Todd again on another movie and then got my own series, The Gordita Chronicles for HBO Max. Wow. Yeah. So it's been a little bit of a wild ride. And you know how that, you know, there's that diagram where it's like here and then success and it just kind of like circles around and does all this stuff. Yeah. That's that, that, that's been my trajectory. So it's not been a clear path, but right now it's gotten me to where I am. So many things that I want to go back and talk about there. So one, let's just try to go in order. You actually trained for two years prior to your first audition. Mm -hmm. So how did you decide that you wanted to try acting classes? Like what got, like what gave you that itch to do acting having never been in the room? Well, we'll go back to even a further origin story. I moved to New York when I was 25 Okay. And this was back in, oh my God, I'm going to age myself if I say this, but it, I don't care. It was, oh my God, when was it? 2002. I think that was 25, yeah, Anyway, I'm, I can't do the math right now, but. Um, We're all yeah, creative, like, not was, math space. No. It was 2001 or two or, well, yeah. 2001 was, you know, the, the 9-11 incident. But then 2002, I was like, okay, well, I want to move to New York. Moved to New York and was I had I went to school originally for communications like I graduated with a communications degree I had a biology degree also so it was just this weird kind of you know combination of what do you do with that and so I went I moved to New York because I wanted to get out of um North Carolina and you know like you do and so of course I had a friend that actually in Virginia I'm aware yeah you get it you get it 
I had a friend that lived in New York who worked in public relations and it was something that I really loved. And those were the classes that I really gravitated towards. So I, you know, and New York was sort of the PR capital of the world, essentially at that, you know, not at that point, but there was just a lot of activity going around the PR career. Moved out to New York, stayed with him for a little bit. And of course I had the quintessential parent talking. It was like, well, we're going to give you X amount of money. And you're, if you have four weeks to get a job and if you don't, you're moving home. And I said, done. Mm Mm-hmm get there within two weeks I got a job at one of the one of the bigger PR firms there called Rubenstein Associates is like a large mid mid-tier firm yeah. and got placed in the uh entertainment one of the entertainment publicity departments which I thought was really cool but I had acted in school like in middle school and high school and just kind of really loved doing it yeah. And I didn't really think about it as a career because it was just one of those things where, you know, I was more focused on like, okay, well, I want to get a stable job, whatever that is. Um, but it was always in the back of my mind. And so I remember I worked in PR and it just was something I just didn't enjoy doing. After a couple of years of doing it, it just graded on me to the point where I was like, I got to get out of business. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to go and try to do that thing, that creative thing that I wanted to do back in school and that was to act and so I uh left public relations and was in New York and got off a train and I said you know what I'm gonna wait tables if that's what I'm gonna do and I'm gonna go and work at the first place that I see when I get off the train and it was this restaurant called Blue Water Grill in Union Square and it was it was a staple of New York it had been around for like I don't know I don't know how long it had been around for that time but it closed down recently and it had been around for 20 some years so it's been a while Mm-hmm. And I got a job as a server there um, and said, you know what, I'm going to now use this flexibility to start doing what I really love to do. And I signed up for classes at the William Esper studio. I got in and had Susan, Suzanne Esper as my teacher, uh, who was like, I mean, she's immortal to me. Like she's one of the most amazing people that you just hang on every word that she says, every little thing that comes out of her mouth is a nugget of wisdom. So everyone was just there with their notebook and like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you really get immersed into this world of the Meisner technique, which transcends acting and sort of seeps into your everyday life as this like psychological device of maneuvering, you know, as a human. So you're just like soaking in all the tidbits of knowledge. So I did that for two years and um, made some really great friends and people that I still keep in touch with to this day. And that's, yeah, that's kind of how that came about. And then right after graduate graduation, after the two years, um, I said, okay, let's do this. And I went in my first audition. I froze up. I like my face was just as white as a ghost. I didn't know my lines. I, my mouth went dry. I was like, you know, everything short of just yelling, like, I like bread or something stupid that would come out of my mouth. And I was mortified and thought, if I'm going through this process right now, I there I know there are other actors that are going through this process. And so that's when I said, I think I need to switch my thinking on this and be the be a person that can help actors get to where they are. Um, I didn't know what that looked like at the time. I just sort of knew that that was where my energy was going to be placed. And that's kind of how it all began. My heart just breaks for you in that room. Because <laughs> like, I think we've all had at least one of those auditions where you walked out and got in your car and you're like, okay. 
Yeah. So now think, what? This is a fork in the road. Yeah. And I think the difference was like, and I'm not the one to just quit that, you know, I don't just go yeah, like, no. okay, well, this sucks. I'm going to quit. It wasn't about that. It was more about a perception shift of thinking. I love the creativity of it. I do love the acting, but there is something more important here that I need to focus on. So it wasn't about just the, you know, quitting acting. It was more about just reshifting my focus. Yeah. And having that self-awareness that it's much greater than just yourself, that yeah. others are going through this. So this is actually one of my questions for later, but let's go ahead and dive into it. How do you think having worked as an, you have all of the training as an actor, having worked as a manager, worked in PR, working in casting, how do those assist and influence each other? Because I, I feel like that's almost like a Rubik's cube of, pieces consistently moving but like you you know each behind the scenes of that conversation I feel like it's it's a very competitive edge if it doesn't drive you crazy mm -hmm. so how, how, how does that affect your work now well my work what I've learned to hone in on is just it's just you know well we'll talk about the creativity of it later but I feel like for me it just informed the language of acting like that was the whole, that's what it sort of boiled down to. And not only just of actors, but of what the director wants, of what the producer wants, of what the executives want, of what, you know, it sort of like was this amalgamation of all the knowledge that was both creative and um, pragmatic, right? So mm -hmm. it was the business side and the creative side. So I just sort of absorbed that knowledge and understood the language of actors and understood the process of authenticity which I'll get to later you know with our with um down the road with the creative creative talk but that's what it sort of boils down to me is like taking this authenticity from your creativity and how do you parlay that into the commercial world essentially and commercial meaning like the business of it yeah. um and so it was just kind of learning that language on both sides that helped me understand that a little more and sort of be able to guide actors in the right direction instead of just flippantly say, oh no, cry here, or oh no, be angry here. That's not what it's about, right? I also want to touch on when you said that your your six years as a manager, you had kind of a roster cap at 20. Like I get a lot of messages talking about, you know, well, what would you say about managers? Like, should you have a manager and agent? Personally, I have agents only. I've had managers at different times, but I think management is such a, a specific thing and I'd love a little bit if you're if you're comfortable talking about that part of of your career and your resume of how important it is when you are signing with a manager when you are making an agreement for 10 percent of everything you earn as an actor that there, that is a real partnership that's not just having an additional person submitting your own breakdowns daily it's, it's a very different relationship having a manager yeah it is I mean you know when you boil it down essentially the manager is there to sort of guide you in your overall career goals yeah. sort of your cheerleader in a way and someone that can push you into that direction and understands you to the point to the point of yes I know I know where we can fit you in this business and not only that I see the bigger picture with you I see you doing multi-hyphenate things since you have you know ideas swirling around in your head it's not just about the person um whereas I feel like 
you know, the manager is there to guide you in the career and the agent is there to negotiate your terms of employment and get the auditions for you. So that's a little more of a technical, like pragmatic approach. And the manager sort of sees the bigger picture of it all. Um, I think it's important because, and I think it's important to, you know, when actors get a manager that they really do connect with them on a little more than more so, if not equal to their agent, because not only that relationship, but the agent has to also be able to work with the manager, right? So yeah. it's about relationships in that sense and what pieces of the puzzle are going to fit the best for that person. And I know that a lot of actors, well, especially with like the bigger manager management companies, you know, and like they they will guide your career. And at that point, it's not only about connecting with them, but it's also about their resources too and, and their wider scope of of what they can do for you and how they can work in tandem with agents or without to further your career. Yeah. Let's dive into the creative process a little bit. I would love to hear what your process is for going through submissions. Always think it's a great reminder for actors to realize like there's hundreds, if not thousands for every single role. And it's you all's job to sort through those to find the best of those that are presented with the, the creative vision that you know um, the team has to bring that picture to life. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'll, I can use a couple examples in this one. I mean, especially, you know, when I was an associate on um, Coyote that was on, that's on Paramount Plus with, you know, starring Michael Chiklis, it was, it's interesting because there were actors that I knew based in classes that I've taught in the past. And so it really is about seeing seeing your work and really understanding you as an actor and i know reels are a great way to watch them and say hey look this this actor is really connected and grounded and gives this kind of performance this will look work really well with this role there is something to be said about that but there's also something to be said about knowing and understanding actors as a casting director which i feel like you know that's the real nuance of what we do is to really understand the authenticity of an actor, because if we don't know them authentically, we're not going to really be able to understand the breadth of their work if we can't understand who they are as a person or an, yeah. and an artist. So I feel like with Coyote, it was a little, it was a little different because we did have um, thousands, thousands of submissions for like co-stars and whatnot. So when we went through, we sort of we go through and see people that we can rely on that have booked in the past or that have gotten close or that we really like their work and maybe they weren't right for something else but are right for this we would select actors like that but then we would also go through and you know we loved seeing new actors so we would go through and look at the resumes and i know that people think that credits are a big thing and they are but especially in the co-star when it's sort of like the chicken and the egg right like which which comes first the job or the red like it's hard and i get that but there is a there is a way of you know your your headshots your calling card your credits on your resume we look at we look at your training um we look at if you are sort of if it's a very specific role like a cop or a nurse or something like have you done that before is that something that you are comfortable doing in that world um, but we'll give people chances to self-tape because that's what we were doing even pre-COVID, um, you know, having people either come in or, or self-tape. And so we were able to see new talent that way, too. And I think 
there's a different process in Gordita Chronicles because a lot of times we were looking for something very, very specific and it was um, very Latinx centered and even more specific, it was Afro Latinx centered. So we were looking for actors in those communities a lot and the authenticity of that, especially Dominican um, actors is what we were focused on a lot in the show. So in that sense, um, you know, I hate to say it, but the pool is a little smaller. So it was more about um, giving giving actors a chance to really, you know, show up in that way. And also giving that underrepresented group of actors, here's an odd, like, please read, like, do, like, we want, we want you to be seen. We see your value. We see your talent. We want you to do this. Um, so I think it was just a little bit of a different creative process in that sense. It was a little more challenging in that way um, because it wasn't, you know, we weren't sifting through thousands of submissions, but um, it was a different process, but in the same vein of really boiling it down to what's the authenticity of that role. And I'm sure you had to reshift your focus or expectations of what those Afro-Latina ex actors had because there's not as many opportunities for them unless they were booking roles that were all ethnicities welcome. There's not any of those like very narrow vein with the world of streaming. I think there's been such an opportunity for more specific storytelling and content that hasn't been there before. We were talking about like the authenticity. How did you find that with actors that you didn't know from class or didn't know from prior auditions Were you and your team looking at social media? Were you watching through like one or two reels, seeing what notes, if any, were included in the submission? Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit of a combination of everything. And that sort of, I picked that up from my actor training because, you know, the the thing that got drilled into my head was Meisner's definition of acting, which was living truthfully through imaginary circumstances. And it's such an easy definition, but it's just so hard of a concept sometimes to get to because the idea of acting is still, you've got to live your truth and you live through the authenticity of it. So people could have a great, real because that's what they did on set was have the authenticity of that role but then when it comes down to auditioning um not that it's an altogether different beast there's just a little bit of a technical aspect of it you're still transferring your you know your authenticity and acting into that role and sometimes unfortunately it would just they just wouldn't hit the mark for that specific role so no matter you know and and, but their real may show something different in a different role kind of situation so um you know, it is about the headshot and like, is this head, I'm, and I'm only saying that when you're scrolling through and you're looking at the thumbnails and you see the headshot and you're like, okay, cool. This has the look that we're going for. Um, the vibe, for the lack of words, the vibe of whatever that person is is showing. And then um, looking at their credits and then going through and looking at the reel and, and watching their self-tape and sort of putting all of that, all of that formula into the calculus of everything and thinking, cool, this person would be great to send the producers because we see that they have a good body of work or we not only a good body of work, but maybe we see that they have something on their reel that we really like that we can supplement with their audition tape. Maybe they didn't give the best audition, but we can say, hey, they can do this. We've seen it on their reel. Yeah. Um, so it all kind of boils down to, to that for us or for me specifically. Where we were already talking about the more specific ethnicity roles, as well as finding your authenticity as an actor. So often as actors, we believe we are right for all things. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I see your face. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to hear from casting's perspective if it's a, a character of low hearing, or if it's someone with a non-visible disability, if it's someone with a specific heritage from the Dominican Republic, it, it's important to not just say, well, I can. And I would love to hear from, from a casting director's perspective how important it is to be mindful and respectful of you all's time and also those actors that it does apply to. I think it's because of the offices that I've worked in have always included this idea of authenticity in in casting especially and 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 especially in you know working on some of the latinx content that i worked on it ingrained this idea of how just how important it is because you know for example on gordita chronicles we were looking for uh um it was a 12 year old chubby uh dominican um actress and it was difficult because it we really had to play to the authenticity of that story she had I mean it was important to find someone of um Dominican heritage and even that like an Afro-Latina Dominican actress um and I think to me it's it's important I identify as LGBTQIA and I am in the situation where I also would feel like I would be doing a disservice um, not adhering to some authenticity in uh, the differently abled or in a certain ethnicity or, you know, in those worlds, because I just feel like that's, that's how you're going to get the real authenticity of that scene and of that show. And I get it. Like there were, and I remember in Coyote, even got, it even got so specific to where not only was it Mexican actors that we were casting, but Mexican actors with um, a Norteño accent or some specific accent that they had to, they had to have. So it was, it was difficult in the sense. Now we did, ca- we did end up casting Juan Pablo Raba, who is uh, Colombian and his accent was spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was the one, he was the one for us, especially because he really did give into the authenticity of that character. So that can happen. But we also had um, a Salvadoran actress that we fell in love with and they had written specifically for that um, ethnicity. So it's important. It's important in a, sh- it's important to tell the story. It's important, especially when the creators are involved and they really want this story to be told with such specificity. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's our responsibility to find that. And for me, because of my background and because what I've learned, that's just what's ingrained to me. And I know some people, I feel like some networks will give a little leeway for it. And I, I you know, and I'm not faulting them for that. I'm just saying as the person that's delivering the talent first so that the producers can see and get to the executives, I feel like it's on us to have that responsibility um, to adhere to that. I feel like a large portion of a great casting director job is really that detective work and Mm. really like finding the talent. And also, I don't know how you all do it, but your, your memory is wild of what you you've seen. And I mean, I've heard all kinds of different ways that you all catalog it. Some people just have it in back of mind, but I don't think actors realize sometimes just casting is a process 
Like it really, it's a multi, multi-step, multi-faceted process. And you just mentioned talking about executive and producers. And that was something that I really wanted to touch on was the approval process. Yeah. Could you share a little bit of like, once you have your auditions, what the callback process and then further towards the actual offer? Yeah. I mean, for all roles, essentially it is the process of the audition process, seeing the tapes, and then, you know, our producers will narrow down their choices, which becomes a pin, quote unquote. And, you know, when you get that idea of when you get the email that you've been pinned. So there's this notion where the producers will say, we like these people, right? But then they ultimately make a decision and maybe a backup. And then that's when we send it to both studio and network for approval. So that process is, it goes through us and then the producers and directors and executive producer. And then we send it to the studio for approval. And if they approve it, then we'll send it to the network approval. So it's a multi-tier process, right? Co-stars, is a little different because it's it's pretty it's pretty cut and dry as far as like that kind of um, process. But then when you get into more of the guest stars, recurring guest stars, series regulars, it becomes a little more of an in-depth process because with the series regulars for pilots, essentially, you know, we're testing. So it becomes a process of who do you like? Let's go to the producers. Let's see if the executive producers is a pretty long, not a long deliberation, but it can get, you know, it, it, they take some time into looking and making sure because these are the people that are going to be driving the the show. And mm -hmm. so then once we get um, their favorites narrowed down, then we'll test, you know, usually it's a, a couple or a few people that we can send to our studio for approval to then be able to test with the network and the studio. And that becomes a little more of a process, but it's still along that line. Um, but then once they test, then, you know, they'll make a decision and that person will execute their contract and their options at the point. Mm -hmm. With with like a recurring guest star, there's no testing process, but it's still, you know, the, the studios and networks will put more of an observant eye on those because there might be a larger story arc for someone that's recurring guest star. Even one day guest stars, you know, they want someone that can what I call play tennis with um, the lead actor on the set, you know, and it's not just about one line in that moment. It's about their interaction in the scene. Through those different evolutions with the producer, the executive producer, studio network, are you often having a conversation back and forth? Are they, are they sending questions back about what else have they done? Are there other things that are factoring into that decision? Are they asking for you all's advice or your opinion? Or are they very much in their own world, in their suit, in their office, in their eye tower? <laughs> no, it's it's very much a collaboration. Okay, I remember, um, you know, I worked with Sony a lot on some of our, our projects, and they're amazing to work with. They're amazing collaborators. They're amazing mentors. Um, and so, you know, it's a process of what has this, what what else has this person done? Do we have more footage on them? What do you think? Who is the person that you really like out of this bunch? Should I go back and look at some tapes and see if there's anyone that we like? You know, that kind of thing. So it is a collaboration, I feel, unless, you know, you send someone and then they like them and then it's just cool approved and then we'll send them over to network and cool approved. I mean, sometimes, you know, that happens a lot. Um, and and a lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times it's, do you have someone else? Is there, is there, because we're not feeling, because they know more, they know about the project in and out 
through that pipeline, you know, more so than sometimes what we do. So they kind of understand what the development process is on that. I mean, we, we have the script, we can sort of formulate in our head what we feel is the right one, which is why when we send our choices, producers and directors and writers, they'll come back with a few, like we like these people. So then, you know, we can essentially hold back some people and say, and they're like, well, who else do you have? And we'll send them and they might like someone better. Where does the casting executive that's at a studio, do they weigh in on this approval process or are they doing a whole different thing? Oh no, the casting executives at the studio absolutely weigh in. They're that, way, they're, they're in that pipeline of approval, correct? They're in that pipeline of approval, yeah. And that's who we deal with. We'll deal with, we usually have like a covering executive that'll cover the show. So we deal with that one person. Okay. Um, but sometimes, you know, that one person will say, let me take this to my team and see what their opinions are also. And that'll factor into the, the, the formula of the approval process as well. Yeah. We've been taping for years, but a lot of actors still, you know, some are really thriving in the last few years. Um, some are not. So I'm curious what is beyond the authenticity, which is obviously key and the most paramount thing. What are some of the common threads that you see that are these through lines of the successful actors in the current evolution of casting. You mean through like the self-tape process? Yeah, the ones that have evolved with it, but are, are, are booking because I think they're, you have to just reserve yourself to like, this is how it is now. And mm -hmm. if you just want to go in the room and there's not a room, you have, you have to pivot. And I was curious what you've seen as a successful through line with the actors that are booking. I think it's I think it's about the self-awareness of your audition. And the thing is with that, it can get a little tricky because when you're self-taping as an actor and you know, you have a reader there, but then when you go back and you want to send your tapes and you want to do takes, we're our own worst critics, right? So we'll look at ourselves and go, I didn't like that. Let me do one more. I didn't like that. Let me do it one more. Yeah. But what I notice with actors that are successful on the self-tapes is there is a level of self-awareness in the technicality of it, meaning they can see the work that they've done. It feels it it feels like they're in their own creative integrity in that moment. And they feel like they're delivering a good grounded performance that the audience will believe, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm dancing around the authenticity because the other elements are having the self-awareness in that sense and having the ability to just sort of say, okay, cool, I'm delivering the best possible audition that I can deliver based on my own creative integrity and what I can do. So I'm going to let that go. Instead of going, I'm going to do this because this is what you want to see. I'm going to be that person. Yeah. And a lot, lot of times that just comes across as we don't know your work. We don't, we can't, we can see what you're trying to do for us, but we don't really get a sense of who you are. Right. I'm not saying it, it doesn't work all the time, but I'm just saying it can stick out and not in a great way. But the ones that do stick out, they may not get that role in that moment. But I would say there's something there's something really interesting about this person. They're connected. They're grounded. They I can see that they're listening. I can see that they're responding from a place of honesty. And so we would look at that and say, maybe not for this, but let's keep their tape for something else because they might be right for something else. Okay. Um, so to me, that's kind of what we see when people book and people become successful. It's because they're 
in their own, they, they have a self-awareness about what they're putting out there. Yeah, I think it's so important to be taping yourself when there's no job on the line. Yeah. Because there, obviously there's a desire that you as the actor want to book it. You as casting want to find the actor. Like there, there's taking that aside, you have to put that over here and actually yeah. just be aware of your lighting and your angles and imagine how it would be on set. And I don't, I don't think that, I personally don't feel that that's a burden to the actor. I think it, it's if you love what you do and you have an understanding of what you're doing on set, it, it, it starts clicking the more that you work that muscle of how would they shoot this and how, you know, how obviously not like creating it with props and everything, but you know, if you would be leaning over, you would, you would lean over in the audition. You know what right. I mean? And that's, that's what I also want to touch on too. It's not about the, the glitz of the the background and what you're in the 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 quality of it. I mean that's a that's a supplement, right? Like that's an addition to because we're in this world of self tape. So you want your self tapes to stick out and I get that. But some people just aren't as tech savvy, right? Yeah. But their creativity is there. And so when they're connected as an actor, I mean we had people self tape in front of like, you know, in their kitchen and but and it wasn't great lighting or something like that, but we saw that there were that they were so connected in what they were doing and delivering the lines and, with such authenticity and honesty that there was just we just were like you got to see this person like we need to send this over and you know when it gets a series regular kind of situation and they start a tape like that in order to get them to the testing part of it we as casting would say this is great but maybe we could change it up a little bit and maybe like put like a, a background and like that kind of thing. The initial self-tape, when we can see that the acting is there and the creative um, integrity is there, then yeah. yeah, it's not, it's not always about the, the moody lighting or like the, <laughs> the yeah, I, I mean, I'm a big one of having something to do like slightly out of frame. Because yeah. then you're you're giving yourself business as an actor and it gets you into it, but it's not distracting to casting because, you know, I do a lot of medical stuff and it's like, I'm not going to have a bunch of medical stuff like be bopping over here and I don't want to have to like be worried about it, but just like slightly out of frame and it, it, it helps me and I feel more connected to it. And I think it reads that way for those that are watching it, but thank you for sharing that. All right, let's talk a little bit about younger actors that are starting out because we've we've talked about those with a body of work and those that really understand what they're doing but from the casting point of view and also you know putting on your manager hat for a second for younger actors that are new graduates um are you know coming into the landscape of acting because more opportunities have opened i mean i've i've talked to a lot of actors that are older have already had a, a family and, and lived a life and then are now seeing these opportunities to get into, you know, their first love of acting now because there's the opportunities and the roles. What do you feel like are some of the most important things to invest both time and money into as a new actor, as a baby actor? Oh man. Um, I mean, these may sound like kind of the obvious answers, but they were, but I'm saying this because it's really true. I mean, you obviously want to invest in your own, I mean, especially with these, where we're at now, but invest in your own self-tape setup. That's an obvious answer. Like, you know, you want, you just want like, 
your basic setup with your lights and your your background and your iPhone or whatever stand, you know, how whatever puts you in the whatever showcases you in the best light technically, right? Um, I'm a huge proponent of classes. I know that it's very expensive and I know that it, it can add up, but I do feel like just going in and, and working those muscles with because not because you're not always able to see your own work, obviously. You and again, you know, that's where we're our, our own worst critic is when we self-tape ourselves and we you can look at yourself and go, okay, I need to switch that there, switch that there. But oftentimes, you know, we can have blind spots in our creativity and we don't see from the perspective of a professional, a teacher, a casting executive, casting director, director. Um, and those folks can often come in and see something a little different in that person and sort of guide them in that direction. And I feel like classes, that's what I try to do as an audition coach is, you know, find something in that person that they're not seeing and say, okay, well, let's try this a little different way. So I feel like investing into learning through classes, I feel like is, is it's, it's worth the investment. And I understand that a lot of times, you know, people don't have the, the, the resources to do that. Um, but then that's when you build a community of actors that you trust and that you can be with to have that creative outlet. I think that there's something really to be said for saving before starting so that you can do it to the best of your ability and have those resources around you because you'll save money in the long run versus coming out to LA or to New York where it is so expensive, but not having the money to both live and study. You have to have, you have to have that savings cushion. (laughs) I know I just it, the irony of like I'm just thinking about it, the irony of doing this this work as an actor and you know this the idea of a struggling actor in the two most expensive cities in the country really it's like yeah you can't you can't write a, a more tragic you know Shakespearean oh. story it's like okay well here we are I want to talk about short films because they are such an excellent both resume asset and then also you meet some incredible young filmmakers and sometimes really established filmmakers that have the budget to only do a short film and you've worked on some beautiful ones i loved side effects and you also did old hen which won swept a ton of awards because that one was international correct yeah. yeah yeah is the casting process any different when working on a short film i mean well no there is there there are definitely it's not, you know, you're not going through an executive um, process per se. No. Uh, I find that they're way more collaborative in that sense because you're dealing with the film, the filmmaker directly usually. Yeah. And that's when the collaboration can get really cool because not only that, but you're also collaborating with the agents and the re- managers because you really want to be able to communicate clearly the story that you're trying to tell. And also it's this delicate balance of also kind of, giving them the reason to put forth some of their best talent and like, you know, who is this director and what, what's their vision and what do they, what have they done or what do they want to do with this piece? What's the intention, that kind of thing. So I find it's a little more of a collaboration in that sense. And so when we're dealing with agents and managers and they're putting forth some of their newer talent that hasn't really necessarily um, been established or sometimes, you know, like, um, there was one recent short that I did called I'm not the man I used to be. And it was about a a father was all with Alzheimer's. And uh, we wanted someone that 
people would kind of recognize. And so, and it was, it was someone who was an actor in their seventies, eighties, and it was hard because it was like, okay, well, what's the fine line here? Who are the people that are out there that we can sort of go to that has, because we didn't really want to go. We wanted someone with just a little bit of enough of a name that people would kind of recognize. And sometimes short films will go in that direction. We got Dan Loria from the wonder years and other things. I mean, that was his big recognition, but he's done a, he's done a big body of work obviously since then, but he was amazing. And then the other actor, Jake Lockett, who uh, played the son is now, um, I feel like he's on Chicago fire. I think that's what the, I think that was the show now. So he's like, it's just cool to see these people grow up from these, you know, and like Jake's been working for a while and he just, it's just cool to see him put his effort and work into a short film. And then now he's, you know, doing big things as well. And an actor, sometimes you get to do these amazing, just heart wrenching scenes because it is, it's so concentrated. The emotional stakes are so elevated and shorts, I feel most of the time. And not only do you get beautiful work for your reel, but you know, sometimes there's not all of the creativeness that we would love to have in a one line co star. He'll pay the bills and it gets us towards insurance, but it's not maybe the most creatively wowzer, you know. Yeah, fulfilling kind Would of. Would you like some coffee? You know, it's you can make it your own, but still, like short films are such a space for them, and I think actors often overlook them as like, oh no, I want to. They're streaming. There's options, and we want to go like chase this, and it's like, but this is like really meaty and delicious, and you meet people, and and this is great. It's also about them connecting to the material too, and like, does this yeah. speak to them in a certain way? And um, and if it does, it just means that they're more connected to that role and that character and that story to be able to deliver their performance. Yeah. I also, before we wrap up, want to talk about your producing because you also have worked as a producer. I don't really know when you sleep. You do a lot. Um, but how did you get into producing as well? Impact? Well, producing is something that I've, that's been, that's been in the works for a while. I mean, it, you know, it, it's sort of a, it's sort of a creative outlet that I love to do because the producing world is something to me that sort of encompasses all aspects of the creative processes and puts it into the package of the business. Right. And that's something that really, and that's where my manager brain comes in because I have <laughs> the knowledge from like, and sometimes for the better or the worse knowledge from all different sort of avenues in this creative business. Um, but I felt like that producing is a way to, have a say and have a say in the creative process in this because casting is just a cog in the wheel and I love it but producing is a way of sort of seeing the bigger picture of a project and saying what's going to serve the story in all aspects that's what I find so fascinating so you know having a casting director send me ideas and me going okay well great this person will you know this person would be great this person would be good um is exciting in the way that I can put the pieces of puzzle together and use my knowledge in a different way so that's just something that keeps my brain working in a completely different way from just the creative process you've decided to have someone else cast what you were helping produce or do you sometimes have double duty on projects uh i do double duty on the projects because what happens is a lot of times and this can parlay into a project i can't really talk about the scope of the project but there are um writers that I've worked with for over a year that they're amazing and they're um, 
some of the probably some of the best collaborators that I've worked with, and I really just have a special bond with them. And we've been trying to get this incredible sci-fi genre movie um, moving, and it's it was a it was with kind of a major um, production studio, and we were just basically I was trying to package an actor in this role that was just. I looked at it and I was like, there's no way that someone's not going to want to do this. Right. But it was hard. It, it Packaging is, is hard. And that's a part of, that's also a part of our casting job too. Sometimes I love it. A lot of people don't because they feel like it could be, it could drag on forever and it just feels like a waste of time. Sometimes I love it because it's, I'm in the collaboration process. Right. Mm-hmm. So in this sense, we were sort of collaborating on casting this one role and trying to figure out like who would be good for it. But because it's gone for so long and we've collaborated for so long, we've just kind of come to this notion where it's like, okay, now I'm part of the producing process, right? (laughs) Because now it's like finding that piece of the puzzle, but also understanding the scope of the project so much that now once we get that piece of the puzzle that I understand the bigger picture and I understand like how this person is going to um affect the financing affect the the sales affect the you know foreign sales and that kind of thing so that's something to me that's always been exciting and so that's kind of where i'm at now with one particular project i don't know when and where it will go but it's in the works it's exciting but we'll see what happens and i think it's good to have those that you know like if you've got an episode or you've got a a film you you know kind of like the scope of when you're working versus the more like long haul and like there's there's balance and I think that that keeps everything a little fresher when you have different different deadlines working all right this hour has flown by thank you so very much yeah, um, last question that we ask everybody on the podcast is what's one thing you wish you'd go back and tell your younger self oh man um I would go back and tell my younger self that to trust your instincts that your awareness about wanting to help people in the business, you will understand what that means. You might not understand it now, but you will understand it. It won't be an easy path, but it'll be a gratifying path once you sort of find your your group. Hi everyone, thanks for listening and being the absolute best part of our creative community. Thank you to my fabulous guests today. If you'd like to learn more about them, please check them out in the show notes. And please join us on Instagram and TikTok at What's My Frame. I'm Laura Linda Bradley. Thanks for listening.